This is Collab SF's podcast, empowering Asian American stories from the gold rush to the gold open. I'm Elsa. I'm Long. Welcome to Golden Great. guys, my name's Elsa. I wasn't here last time. I want to introduce a little bit about myself. I'm the OG Elsa before Frozen. So Elsa, this is your first time on the show. Yes, I'm your co-host. <laughs> I am so excited to work with you. Um, can you give a little bit about yourself to the listeners? Sure. I have a formal background in advertising, graphic design, and Asian American studies from San Jose State. Ooh, Go San Spartans. Jose State, yep. Um, and now I work in HR at a finance tech startup. But that was not exactly what I studied. I didn't even know I was going to go into this um, industry, but I have no regrets. I really enjoy it. But I'm with Collab right now because I like helping the Asian American um, community. What about you, Long? My background? Yes. My background, I graduated with a degree in music business at UOP. And then I also moved into the tech field in San Francisco, hoping that technology would keep up with music, but then the economy crashed. So yeah. I did a lot of odd jobs back and forth. And then as any millennial, I became like a contract person for a year. And then finally I landed a gig as a personal trainer and I love personal training, but there was never anything fulfilling for me, part of my identity as Asian American. Yeah. And at the time there was no diversity for Asian Americans in fitness. Now there is, but at the time, a lot of fitness is about Western features, about being big, being lean, but then yeah. also like the males are always looking six feet tall. I'm only five foot two. Yeah. And also we are recording in a gym right now. So this is one of my offices. <laughs> one of your offices. So you have multiple offices. Within the same building. Okay. Actually, shout out to Mechanics Institute. That's my office too. Cool. As a writer. Yeah. But tell me about your experience in collab. It's been great so far. I feel very um, inspired from everyone I've met, but I know you have a longer history of collaboration. Can you go into that? As a writer, it's really great because I get many resources. I get to talk to other writers, and there's a hole in um, collaboration that I feel that we're not talking to writers and authors because we were focusing a lot on musicians and yeah. actors and actresses. And so I get to explore that, and that's fun. However, being a writer, you're working in the silo. You're yeah. And the only time you actually talk to someone is send your stuff to the editors. And we had amazing editors. Shout out to Celine. She's an amazing editor. She's worked a lot with my essays and helped me out. Cindy's helped me out a lot with my writing stuff. So not to say that I don't have a great team, but it's just when I do my work, it's very, I'll say lonely, but... <laughs> You know, so this is the first time just working with our team together. Yeah. Um, Do you ever write outside of collaboration? Something more personal, poetry, short stories? To be honest, ends up being part of collab. I put myself yeah. out there already on the blog, and um, I'm working on another essay right on that too for Asian American History Month and um, what was it, mental health awareness for yeah. this month. Still gonna be tough like the other one, but I'm gonna be glad when it comes out. What do you like to do outside of writing and going to the gym? To be honest, that <laughs> it takes up all my time. I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was 
practicing my boxing in the shower yeah. and while I was doing my hair, it takes me eight minutes. I had to gel it down. I love it, how you know it takes eight minutes. Exactly. I, t I timed it. Oh I, my gosh. <laughs> I timed it because people always complain. They complain. Because I usually live with roommates and stuff. They're like, hurry up. So I had to like, get it down to a craft. And so yeah. like, especially working at a gym, I have to get ready for my session, have it down eight minutes. But wow. No, so I box in the shower and then like I have to think about my essays while doing my hair and then I'm ready and train nice. and then go back and forth so I have no free time. Yeah. You have no free time either, right? Multitasking. I don't and I was just talking to a coworker about that today how, you know, I used to be a lot more, I would say creative and, you know, dabble more in photography, prioritize that. I don't want to say I don't have time because people can always make time so I'm just not prioritizing that. You know, you go to work, you come home and you want to kind of be like a robot, like you think you can do everything but really just sometimes you need to um, you need downtime. You need to just sit there, browse social media, not do anything productive necessarily. Um, and then you just wake up and go back to work. So I'm trying to find ways where I can actually be more creative and express myself more. But yeah. Do you find yourself watching TV or do you like media like of movies? Because I, because I'm working on writing, I find myself just reading books and essays. I don't spend time watching any screen stuff. Oh yeah. I definitely consume my fair share of Netflix, a lot more cooking shows, even though I don't really cook myself, um, but that's how I kill time, you know, that's how I live vicariously through them. <laughs> Did you grow up watching TV? Yeah, I would say so, but I didn't have cable, so I'm just watching stuff that comes up. I don't have the privilege of kids nowadays who can swipe if they don't like a particular episode or a show. Um, you just kind of deal with what you have, like judge shows or, um, you know, fighting. <laughs> What are the top three shows you were watching as a kid? Um, in terms of enjoyment, I would say, uh, well, I can only think of cartoons right now. I would say like Arthur, and I just um, realized that they have shows still running and they have a new season, so that's pretty amazing. Um, it's funny when you're not watching them anymore, you're kind of out of the loop and you're thinking that existed in the 90s and it doesn't exist anymore, but no, kids still watch Sesame Street, so mm -hmm. that's amazing. Um, I like Dragon Tales. <laughs> oh, I remember that show. Yeah, I can. I have fond memories of that, and um, I really like Simpsons, and I have a lot of cultural um, references that I can refer to because of the Simpsons. I know a lot of oldie songs or um, things that happen because I watch almost every episode. Um, but I could, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed those three shows. You know, what's funny. I think the first Indian person I saw was on The Simpsons. Oh yeah. But now he's received a lot, of, like, a flack for having an Indian accent. Who? I don't From know if he's on the show anymore. I know there's controversy. Well, the point was that they didn't hire an Indian person to do it, right? Yeah. And that was very stereotyped. But there was one episode that actually was kind of cool. Do you remember the episode when he tried to be American and then they actually no. talked about his identity? Don't remember that. That was an episode where um, I think... In The Simpsons, they were trying to pass this law to, to expel all the immigrants. Yeah. And so Pooh goes through this, like, life crisis and finding out where his roots were. And he immigrated to America with a computer degree. Yeah. And then when he stayed working at a um, liquor store, he tried to pay off his student loans. By the time he, he paid them off, that he stayed because that was his home. And I think that was very important for me to see other, like, types of people and then for and this is probably why I started collaboration to see representation you know yeah for me I ended up liking a lot of African-American shows yeah like um, Fresh Prince 
cool. But then, slowly when you get older, it's like you're, you want more sensitive identity. At least Definitely. that was for me. And I liked how they brought in um, all these celebrity guests on The Simpsons. Yeah. Um, they had uh, someone who voiced Michael Jackson. Um, Which was actually Michael Jackson. I know. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. Well, too Not bad they the didn't make him look like Michael Jackson. It was someone else. Yeah. And then they didn't credit him at all. In the oh. <laughs> because it was through his contract. He didn't want to yeah. put his name. But then also he wasn't singing. Yeah. Did you know that? No, he was singing a little bit. I mean, sing-songy voice. But the grand song with Bart, that was not yeah. him. They, oh, I didn't know that. They hired someone else. Michael Jackson yeah. was like, he he said, you're not paying me enough. Yeah. You want to be on the show. That's a shame. Yeah. Can you name any Asian celebrities that influenced you and, like, you looked up to? I know Bruce Lee is one of them, and I actually went to Seattle to visit his grave. Oh, yeah? Um, I didn't make the trip solely to see him, <laughs> but when I was there, I it's kind of far away from, you know, the city, and you mm -hmm. have to take a bus there, and then... His grave is kind of hard to find, but, um, and I try to find on my own, but there's actually a house fair that has a map that shows you exactly where it is, so just paying your respects, but I grew up watching his movies, and my brother really idolized him, and I looked up to my brother, and so it's kind of something that, um, you know, you piggyback on as a little sister, um, but I learned a lot from him, and I listened to his podcast that's hosted by his daughter and his Wife. That's a good podcast. And they talk about his philosophies and I've learned a lot about him. But are there any celebrities, Asian celebrities that inspire you? You know, one thing about Bruce Lee, which was mine, I think that's why I started writing as well too. He was a writer. I wrote yeah. a lot of his philosophy and stuff. You know that his statue is a, in, I forget which country, it's like Middle East. They wanted a symbol of... I didn't know that. That's yeah, cool. it's not in China. It's like in a Middle East country and they wanted a... A statue representing world peace and they said yeah. the thing that they thought about was Bruce Lee so he's widely seen as a icon in any country even outside um, Asia yeah. I think that's really important tell our listeners about the celebrity that recently stopped by San Francisco it was Simu Liu. Simu Liu stopped by Boba Guys in San Francisco, and he was there for a meet and greet. There's a huge line that wrapped around the building. Um, our producer, Ray Wong, got to interview him in person. They got to talk about his career, toxic masculinity, being an Asian-Canadian actor, and being a role model. Ray, can you take it away? Thanks, guys. So this is the extended version of the interview I did with Simu for a community spotlight series I did with collaboration. And it's been pretty cool. I was able to talk with Simu about his goal as an API actor and various other things as a role model in the API community. I hope you guys really enjoyed the interview. You can follow him on social media, which is at Simu Liu, S-I-M-U-L-I-U, on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also catch Simu playing as Jung on Kim's Convenience, which is on Netflix. So I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to Community Spotlight with Simu Liu. And we are here to talk about your career as an actor, but also as a role model for the API community. So, I mean, first of all, congratulations with season three and also new season four for convenience. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I hope that, like, more seasons to come and, you know, bigger career paths for yourself in general. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I guess a lot of people in the States don't know this, but we're actually the, uh, we're actually the highest rated comedy in Canada. 
Um, so as far like a lot of people ask me, you know, oh my God, how long is the show going to go? Are you going to get canceled? And like, I think the answer is um, without sounding too overconfident in our show, but it's, it's pretty safe to say that we'll, we'll, I think we'll be going on for a while. And could you explain what Kim's Convenience is uh, for most like American audiences out here? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, Kim's Convenience is a, is a family comedy. Uh, it's a sitcom about a Korean-Canadian family living in Toronto, um, owning a convenience store and just all of the shenanigans that they get into together. Pun intended on that, of course, because my boss and slash like on and off love interest in the show is named Shannon. You know, I've actually watched Kim's Convenience. I'm I'm pretty caught up with season two, and then okay. um, I try to watch it on like season three, trying to catch up on that too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But so far, I'm like, oh, come on, Jung. <laughs> I don't want to spoil too much, but you know. Yeah, he's a bit of a knucklehead sometimes. Well, you know what? The thing is, they both can be, um, and it's really it's been really fun and interesting for Nicole and I both playing that romance on screen, and and also you know. Specifically, too, because there aren't that many romances involving Asian men on TV, period. So I always feel like we're like the first of everything, you know, like when we had our first kiss. I think that was a really momentous occasion uh, when we just like, I don't know, everything that we do. Yeah, yeah like I, I really adore that. Like, oh, my God, there's this left and right situation. But then it's kind of cool, like especially a role as, you know, being an Asian in that role. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool um, because I never grew up with that kind of like. Um, like role models and such and it's like you know there could be a chance for me like if I want to pursue acting and so like um, having going into those leading roles like it can be possible just to mm -hmm. have that and also it gives myself as an Asian guy to give myself more confidence like I can talk to other girls and be trying to do uh, pull up with those type of situations <laughs> yeah I think it's yeah I think it's about showing yeah Asian men in situations where traditionally they haven't really been shown and I think this last year particularly has been really great for that you have you know things like crazy rich Asians coming out you have mm -hmm. searching starring John Cho um, you just thought, you know a lot of leading Asian men who are the star of the show you know the the lead of the story and uh, it's obviously not something that traditionally you see us doing we're typically like like the sidekick, the support, you know, and um, yeah, it's been it's it's been a hell of a ride. I can't wait to see what the next few years has in store for us. Dude, that's awesome. I hope for the best for you too. That's oh, really you. like you, we need this. Thank you, thank you. Um, so the next question to ask you is, uh, what kind of advice would you give for um, API creatives, like especially pursuing? like acting um who, who are thinking about it or who are already pursuing it pursuing or? it yeah in general like um yeah i mean i would say don't let your race uh be an excuse for not pursuing your dreams i mean so many people you know i know we talked about i do a lot of instagram live i like to engage in dialogue with my fans and my supporters and uh you know one question that i hear kind of popping up a lot is like oh you know i've been thinking about um uh pursuing the arts as an actor as a creative and i just feel like it's so hard for Asians to succeed in this field and I'm having a lot of doubt like what do you think about that and uh, you know my response is always like first of all if I told you that it was really easy would you still want to do it I mean doesn't I mean it isn't the fact that this is like a, a difficult journey and and I mean doesn't that excite you at all yeah the fact that you're literally breaking barriers like this is what 
this is what we're all trying to do. It's really exciting. And the second thing is that I find it really, really disrespectful for people to say, to have the audacity to say in 2019 that it's difficult to break into the industry for Asians. Because you know what? It's, it was difficult for me to break into the industry yeah. seven years ago, way more so than it is now. And, it's, and, and then you, you, know, you think about veterans like you know, the John Cho's of the world, the Daniel Day Kim's. Um, you know, we can talk about Paul Sun Hyung Lee, who plays my father, Gene Yoon, who plays my mom. I mean, think about how difficult it was for them back in the day when there really weren't that many conversations about diversity, about inclusion. You know, studios were definitely not concerned with you know, green lighting projects featuring Asian leads, and yet they still did it. And so for somebody in 2019 to be, you know, almost like whining that it's difficult for an Asian creative, I think is, is very disingenuous. Um, these people worked so hard to create and pave a road for us, to create opportunity for us. And, you know, people in our generation in turn are working very hard so that the next generation after us will have even more opportunity than we do. But I think right now, I mean, it's impossible to dispute. Like, it's the best it's ever been for us. And is there work to be done? Is there progress still to be made? Of course there is. Of course there is, but you know we're standing at the pinnacle right now of where we, as a as a community, as a movement, have have really ever been. So it's an incredibly encouraging time for an Asian creative or prospective Asian creatives, and we should be working that much harder. I, yeah, I totally agree with that. That's how it's like for myself because I started getting my inspirations from like people like Wang Fu mm -hmm. and um, various Hong Kong uh, actors and mm -hmm. like filmographers like I was wondering like yeah how I'm gonna able to achieve that because I want to do something like that one day mm -hmm. and it excites me and you know good thing that Wang Fu and YouTube kind of exist because it gave us that inspiration like we should try to uh, share our experiences and that's stories yeah. or anything and it's pretty cool i'm glad you brought up wong fu because they're the perfect example you know 15 years ago before even youtube existed they knew that they had a passion and um you know phil wes and ted just turned you know their interest even though they knew that you know they didn't really have any asian role models they didn't have digital influencers like that wasn't a thing that didn't exist but um but they kept going because they loved what they did. And, and look at what they've done over 15 years. I mean, the number of people that I've run into who talk about you know, Wang Fu and how much they were inspired by Wang Fu. So many creatives in the industry who are Asian um, will list Wang Fu as their primary inspiration. You know, people who are in film school or studying, like you said, yeah. to be cinematographers, writers, directors, they all, it all comes back to Wang Fu and what they were able to instill in an entire generation of people. So, I mean, their impact on, on our culture as you know as, as asian americans asian canadians or from wherever um has been truly like really profound so i have i have so much so much respect for them that's awesome yeah yeah um so since you're an actor um mm -hmm. what is like the main dream role you really want to play for sure like especially you know you already have roles like jung um you have starred in other movies and stuff but i mm -hmm. from what i've known like you know from research we did you know you were a stuntman on mm -hmm. Um, a stunt double for a Fall Out Boy music video. <laughs> um, yeah. I did find that frame, by the way. Oh, great. you did find it. Oh, nice, like, nice, huh, nice. Black hair. <laughs> um, but, you know, various other things. Like, what made you to, like, you know, maybe you want to try out a new role that you want to pursue in. So if you want to be in detail about that, if you can. Yeah, sure. I mean, my thing, I mean, growing up, I always, like, I loved action franchises, and I always wanted to lead action franchises. It's not, it's something that, you know, studios have yet to entrust an Asian male actor with mm. to be like a franchise tentpole lead. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, we've talked, you know, um, 
we know about Marvel's, uh, you know, Shang-Chi mm-hmm. and how they're fast tracking development on that. But just that idea of like an Asian man uh, anchoring, carrying a studio franchise to be, you know, to put it in basketball terms, to be the franchise player. And, um, you know, I look at Tom Cruise with the Mission Impossible yeah. franchise as a, as a really, you know, great benchmark. I look at the Fast and Furious. And, you know, even though, um, you know, the character of Han is Asian American, mm. um, you know, he's still not the lead of the franchise. So I'm talking about, like, putting us up at number one. And that's kind of the barrier, the last barrier that I see, you know, that is yet to be broken and that I want to I break. And, you know, I think... I want to draw a distinction between that and like the Jackie Chan and Jet Li movies that have come out in years before. I think I'm a huge Jackie Chan, Jet Li, Donnie Yen fan for sure. Oh yeah, it's it's grown into our hearts no matter what. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But at the same time, as an Asian American, you know, I understand that my experiences are different than theirs, that we have, you know, we come from very different backgrounds and they're not necessarily relatable Mm -hmm. to people in the West. I mean, the characters that they play are always these like, you know these like kung fu masters, these kind of like yeah. mystic, very, very like, like stereotypical stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily. Yeah, uh, definitely leaning into like the martial arts master mm-hmm. kind of trope, and with that kind of you know as kind of separation from the traditional kind of leading man. So mm-hmm. you know, no love interest, really, just this kind of like monk-like figure. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I'm. You know, I always say, you know, Tom Cruise is, is, is very different. I think he, he can throw a punch, you know, he can hold his own in a fight, but he's not like a, a master of some like ancient that, form that's of true. martial arts. And, you know, it's, it's, he's just a guy who can fight and is yeah. really good at what and, he does. And he's been doing his own stunts now. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It, like I've watched the recent Mission Impossible movie. I'm like, yeah, isn't it crazy? Yeah, how he's like, he's flying his own helicopter, helicopter. and spiraling. And he jumped way. across the building, shattered his ankle, and yeah, still yeah, that yeah. shot. And I was like, still used the take. Whoo! I was like, what is wrong with this guy? But at the same time, he's getting to that level where he's becoming like, you know, Jackie Chan. He's doing his own stunts now. And it's kind of cool. Like, he and Tom Cruise has said, like, um, he's been inspired by his work. And he's like, yeah, I need to try to make something much more authentic, uh-huh. much more himself. And that's pretty cool about, like, in any actor's sense. Like, they want to be more of, like, be passionate about and driven for, like, just to be their own roles or yeah. and various others. That's pretty cool. Like, we need much more of a, like, a greater role for any actor. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, we were all inspired, like we said, we're all inspired by, uh, you know, the Bruce Lees, the Jackie mm-hmm. Chans, Jet Lees growing up. So of course, you know, martial arts is something that I I dabbled in pretty early on, and and for myself too, I had a I have a background in gymnastics and parkour, and um, you know, I'm hoping that one day I <laughs> will get to kind of combine all of my skills into kind of this role. Um, because I do, I do believe that I can, I can lead a franchise. I have absolute and total, you know, faith and confidence that I can do that. So it's all about getting the right opportunity. That's awesome. Um, all right. So transitioning from that actor's roles and stuff. Um, and this was a very last minute question kind of sent you very last time. Um, it was about you wrote, co-wrote a movie or not a movie, a short film, a short film. Yeah. Um, and, but also various others, um, Mm -hmm. like, I think one of them was about it being an Asian superhero, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was that got me laughing. <laughs> oh, great, great. And but I really like those dramatic like writing roles that you've written, especially you're playing the characters for yourself too. Mm-hmm. Um, how did it feel to just pursue that type of like, not career path in a way, but that um, purpose just to write something, but also be a part of it? Well, for me, it's it's proactive, and it comes from the same kind of DNA that Wang Fu. 
uh, I feel like the mentality that Wang Fu inhabited when they were just starting out, which is like, you can't necessarily just wait for the right opportunity mm -hmm. to come along. You can't wait your turn because if you just waited for your turn, it's never going to be your turn. And mm -hmm. so um, I've always been a huge advocate in being proactive about your career, especially for um, creatives of color. You know, when, when the opportunity isn't there, you have to do everything you can to create opportunities, which means as an actor, not waiting around for your agent to call to give you the perfect audition for your role. You know, sometimes you got to go and create the roles for yourself. So, you know, for me, for the short films that you mentioned, for Meeting Mommy as well, it was just, you know, it's just this idea that you have to create work for yourself. And, um, you know, I, I've been doing it at every possible opportunity ever since I started as an actor. I've been developing skills as a filmmaker, as a writer, and um, you know, at any budget level that I've been capable of uh, trying to get these films done. And Meeting Mommy was, you know, one of the more recent projects that we did. Um, I'm super happy with, you know, the production value with what we were able to put out, and um, you know, it's on the Wang Fu channel right now. Oh, it has yeah. almost half a million views and trended on YouTube when it, when it was released. So, yeah, we're, we're incredibly happy about it, and I'm looking forward to doing that more. So I actually just want to segue into... Now go ahead. Um, so I started a production company recently wow. um, called 412 Entertainment. It's called 412 because I was laid off from my job as an accountant on April 12th <laughs> in 2012. So, um, yeah, I mean, my company is all about... Uh, kind of adapting or creating original IPs um, that are, you know, Asian American or Asian Canadian specific. Um, you know, talking about our issues, our collective mm -hmm. shared experiences, and uh, just basically carving out a culture for us where, you know, there may have been not a lot before. Because I, th I think that, you know, the whole concept of being a Western-raised Asian is still kind of new to a lot of us, right? A lot of our parents came from... Uh, came from the East and so you know we grew up in very confused circumstances where we had to straddle two different cultures and mm -hmm. what I'm hoping you know in the future as we grow up and we have kids and you know the generations that come after these these American-born third fourth fifth generation Asian kids is that they're able to create and draw on a culture of their own rather than having to borrow somebody else's or rather than feeling confused about you know having to choose uh, between two that are neither of which are are fully them you know what i mean yeah 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 um that we have of our you know something of our own and i think things like subtle asian traits is a huge uh step in the right direction you know it, it's it, we talk about the boba memes and and whatever yeah, but yeah. I, I truly think that it's an amazing phenomenon because it's it's truly something of our own and it's a, it's it's really like a shared dialogue and we can laugh at the same jokes we have a shorthand and we have a cultural shorthand with one another yeah cuz like i wonder like is there a difference between, um, you know, Canadian, like, uh, Asian Canadians and a Asian Americans? Like, is there, like, a certain boundary line, or are we being inspired by each other um, mm -hmm. in some sense? Like, wh what do you think about, like, especially, you've been to L.A. most of the time wh while you're in California, correct? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I've spent a lot of time in L.A. Yeah. recently. Yeah, have you seen much more, like, a difference between, like, um, industry roles or anything of those sorts? Um, yeah, I, I mean, speaking to the industry, I mean, in LA, I was actually just blown away by the support that I got from the community. You know, there are so many um, organizations out there dedicated to supporting Asians and Asian Pacifics in entertainment, like CAPE, mm -hmm. uh, like CORE, like Collab, yeah. you know, you guys. Um, you, it's just so incredible to not feel like you're alone and to feel like a part of something greater, like a movement. And um, I can say for sure, you know, that's not something that necessarily exists in Toronto to the same degree. I mean, um, 
Yeah. I, I, again, I was, you know, I tell the story all the time, but the first person that I texted when I landed in LA back in 2017, it was my first pilot season, was Ken Jong. He and I followed each other on Twitter. He had, you know, caught wind of the show. He was very supportive, so followed all of us. And uh, just on a whim, I guess, I decided to uh, DM him. I slid into his DMs. <laughs> and uh, it was basically like, hey, I don't know anybody in LA. I'm here, like, just thought I'd reach out. Maybe we could grab a drink or something, talk about uh, the industry here, you know, your experiences. And he replied right away, and he was like, hey, um, how about this? I will give you a drive-on pass to the Sony studio lot, um, you know, where we shoot Dr. Ken. Mm. I want you to come whenever you want. Um, I want you to watch us rehearse, table read, um, you know, shoot the episodes, whatever. Just Everything. Like, come hang. Like, you have a full, like, full drive-on privileges anytime you want. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> this is Ken Jong we're talking yeah. about. Someone who's like, you know, at the... I, it's hard for me to think of an Asian-American actor or actress who's more famous than Ken Jong, right? So you would think, you know, he's That's at a certain true. level. Maybe he, you know, thinks a certain way or has a certain attitude, because uh, it is Hollywood after all. But no, he's just the most down-to-earth, supportive guy. Um, you know, such like a amazing, genuine, generous figure. And um, you know, what I found is that really people are more like him than anything else. You know, I've had the the opportunity to meet people like Randall Park on set of Fresh Off the Boat, and. Um, you know, Daniel Day Kim, and they're all just so amazingly supportive. Um, so it, it was really, it's really something that I hope that I can bring back to Toronto. And uh, if anything, just to kind of like decrease the, the perceived distance between the two cities. Yeah, I really wanted to see like, not just Hollywood, you know, just Hollywood. Like I kind of wish it just grows out to other places. Like obviously there's different television stations and people are being shoot, uh, shooting films on like places in New York, Vancouver being one of them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, I kind of wish like, I want to get myself in the industry. Like sometimes I want to say like with this series in general and um, I produce it out of one straight out of thought saying like, I want to meet these people mm -hmm. and I want to do something. Hot. And you know, all I did was send an email out saying, um, I want to interview you because I want to share the knowledge that everyone should know about, especially mm -hmm. amongst Asian Americans in general. And that's the coolest thing about this series. Yeah. Um, and that's how I met Andrew from Boba Guys. Yeah, that's right. You know, we were rearranged everything from there. And then I was like, wow, I explored a lot of things that like, it's not just behind the scenes of how he does work, but about how the way he thinks, everything. It's like, it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Like I'm able to connect with these people, mm -hmm. connect with people like Mong Fu and such. And it's like, I really like that network I'm in now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I appreciate what you do. I think it's very important. I mean, what we're all trying to do is to just, I mean, I, I can't speak for you, but for me, um, it, it's really about regaining this sort of cultural pride and this self-confidence that I feel like has been taken from us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, by the media, by, you know, systemic factors, by racial prejudice. But, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, historically, just being Asian has never been something to be proud of. Rather, it's been something to be ashamed of. And, and more often than not, so I tour, you know, I tour universities around North America and I talk about these issues. And more often than not, you know, when I ask the audience, you know, to tell me about a time where, um, you know, they have been ashamed of their Asianness or they have tried to run away from it, that like so many hands go up and people totally understand, like, you know, we grew up so messed up because we we hated ourselves we wanted to run from our culture we wanted mm. to for like you know f to put it brashly to just be white and you know i think what's what's really interesting about what this movement is right now 
um, is that we are regaining a cultural pride, that we are looking back at our parents who, you know, um, basically defied all odds and expectations in order to come here to build a family and to support a family and raise us, um, that that story in and of itself is so much richer and so like much more meaningful than just if you were to just be another white guy, you know what I mean? I totally agree. Yeah, yeah and I, so we should be proud of who we are. We should be so proud of who we are, where we came from. And uh, we should be able to walk into any room with our heads held high. And uh, yeah, I, I very strongly believe that. Well, like the last thing now is mm -hmm. to ask you is, what are you doing now? Well, mm -hmm. and also, what are you doing in San Francisco? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm shooting a movie in San Francisco, actually. Um, it hasn't been announced yet, so I can't say no, too it much has, about No, it's it. fine. You don't have to. No, it's nothing, it's <laughs> yeah. nothing crazy. Um, but I, that being said, I do love the movie. I can't wait for you guys to, to see it. Um, well, yeah, what am I up to now? Um, like I said, so uh, I have a production company called 412 Entertainment. Mm -hmm. We are uh, currently developing a feature film with, uh, with a network up in Canada. Um, for one of their streaming platforms. So we're really, really excited about that. I'm also uh, touring universities. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually, I'm, I think I'm going to do Berkeley in April. I've got a couple of schools in Boston, um, going to Vancouver, um, Waterloo in, uh, in Ontario in Canada. And uh, just like, I love kind of meeting young kids and sharing bits and pieces of my story, whether it's, you know, from an, from an Asian specific lens or just from the lens of like somebody who grew up kind of defining success based on what other people w thought or what other people wanted. And, uh, you know, basically failing because I wasn't, you know, in a field that I felt passionate about. I was very depressed. I, you know, hated going to work every day. Yeah. And then to, to really have had the blessing of being laid off from my job and having the opportunity to take time off and really think critically about what it is that I wanted to do and what I what legacy I wanted to leave on this world, um, you know, led me to become an actor, a creative, you know, in in this industry, and uh, so it's you know a lot of what I do is just trying to tell these young kids like, if you're not feeling engaged in your classes or you know you don't feel like you're you're totally in it, like it's not because you're dumb, it's not because you're stupid, you just haven't found what it is that you're passionate about yet. And you need to go out, you owe it to yourself to go out and search for it and to give yourself permission to pursue it because, you know, it, it, it's, it goes back to, for me, uh, owning your greatness, realizing what that is and not being afraid to step in. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for coming out um, with this interview and too. And hopefully we can support you more in your latest endeavors. Thank you. Thank you. That's going to do it for our first episode of Golden Grade. Send questions, comments, and episode ideas our way to goldengrade at collaboration.org. Golden Grade's producers are Ray Wong and Michelle Abiera, and executive producer is Josh Koh. Sound mixing was by Michelle Abiera, with editing by Ray Wong. Our fabulous theme song was composed by Bobby Ge. Check out his SoundCloud at B-O-B-B-Y-C-G-E. The podcast team also includes Christine Allercombe and Jenny Lee. With special thanks also going out to Stephanie Kim, Kat Damon, Ryan Lay, and Oscar Chow. Bye! Bye.